Good morning, church. Today's scripture, scripture reading is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Listen to what God says to us through his faithful servant, Apostle Paul. Marks of the true Christian. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's word. May his word, by his spirit, speak to our hearts. Amen. Poyan, thanks for reading the word to us. Uh, let's pray again as we prepare our hearts to receive his truth. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you indeed for how you've spoken. Father, we pray that you would uh, speak to us uh, again, that you would take your word, open our hearts, that you would plant your word deep in our hearts, that you would produce in us lives of love for the glory of your name. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. 
Uh, I love to travel, and one of the things that I enjoy doing before I go on trips is to take out a map. Uh, you know, well, I guess nowadays we don't take out maps anymore, we just check Google Maps. <laughs> you know, so what, what I do is I, I'll take out the map and you know, just study the place that I'm going to, uh, just to t take note of the, you know, the key landmarks, uh, the major roads, where my hotel is, and most importantly, where to eat. And then to see how my hotel is located in relation to all these other things, right? So, so maps are very useful. Maps help us to get a, a big picture view of the place. Now, they give us a sense of where things are. They give us a sense of, you know, how do we find our way around? You know, we've been looking through uh, the opening verses of Romans 12, and I, I put it to us that Romans 12, 1 to 2, is like a map. Uh, Romans 12, 1 to 2 is like a map that gives us the big picture of life. You know, it, it helps us to make sense of what life is all about. And, and Paul says it in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Ah, that, that's what life is all about. That's, that's the map that we should have for life. You know, all of life is worship, right? All of life is worship. But, but of course, you know, if you go on holiday and if you just stare at the map, you're not really going on a holiday, are you? You're just looking at a map. You know, what you do is you, you take the map, you put it in your pocket, you, you, go, you go travel with it, but then you get to the street level, right? And you start walking around, you start experiencing the place, you start getting a feel of what the place is like. You know, the, that's how the map becomes real. Right? It's kind of fleshed out as you actually physically see the place. And, and so it is for the rest of Romans 12 to 16 as well. You know, we have the big picture, we have the map, you know, all of life is worship. And then from this, from this point on, Paul will take that big idea and he's going to flesh it out. He's going to take us down to street level and then show us, hey, this is what the place really looks like at street level. Right? Last week, we, we saw what the place looks like uh, by thinking about how we use our gifts to serve God the diverse gifts that he gives to us. This week, Paul shows us worship looks like how we relate to other people. Right? Very practical, very down-to-earth. Right? So he's taking the map and he's fleshing it out for us. So worship looks like how we relate to other people. You know, this may surprise some of us because we are accustomed to think about worship in an individualistic way. You know, sometimes we think about worship as, yeah, it's just about me and my relationship with God, right? So why should I worry about the people around me if, if it's just about me and God? And indeed, in, in the culture of our world, spirituality is popular, and spirituality has become a private, personal pursuit. You, know, you, can, you can pursue spirituality without reference or relationship with anyone else around you, right? You can be spiritual without relationships. I mean, that's how we're accustomed to think, perhaps. We can worship without looking around, right? Just look up. You know, some, some of us may think, you know, hey, I, I attend church regularly, and does it matter if I'm not really connected to other people? You know, 
I, I come here every Sunday. You know, I'm, I'm here regularly. Does it matter if I don't speak to people after church? Does it matter if I don't know anyone? I think what Paul is trying to show us in Romans 12 is that worship doesn't work that way. Right? We, we're supposed to worship God in community, not alone. And in fact, the Bible says we, we cannot worship God alone. We worship God in community. So, so, and this is not a new idea as well. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus connects worship and love. Right? Matthew 22 that the famous uh, in exchange between Jesus and the lawyer who knows the law. So this lawyer asked Jesus a question to test him. Hey, teacher. No, you didn't say hey. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So yeah, 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 that's true, right? So we should worship God, how you love him. And then Jesus inserts a second great, the second greatest commandment, right? And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus is saying is that to worship God is to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. Fine, you know, we, we get that. And then he says a, a second commandment is like. Notice why he says like the first. It, it is like the first, it is related to how we worship. So if you want to worship God, you don't just love Him, you love one another. You, you love those who are made in His image. You, you love those who are even difficult to love. Right? You, you love your neighbour. Of, of course, you, know, you can argue, who's, who's my neighbour? You know, which is what the Pharisees did, right? Yeah, who's my neighbour? But Jesus says you, you love people. Right? You love those around you. You love strangers, you love those who are difficult to love. And, and this really is the big idea of the text this morning as we get to Romans 12. We worship God by loving one another and those who are difficult to love. So a, a life of worship is a loving life. A life of worship is a loving life. Of, of course, we, we first have to think about what is love? What is love? In the, in the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament, you know, Paul, John, Peter, Jude, uh, they, they chose an uncommon Greek word for love. You know, they, they used this word that was not really used in, uh, liter in Greek literature outside of the Bible. So they, they used this word agape. Uh, you know, and, and scholars think they, they probably chose this word agape, this very distinct word, to highlight how different and distinct Christian love is meant to be. You know, they, they were highlighting the fact that this love, this agape, doesn't come from us, but it comes from above. And, and indeed, as we heard from 1 John this morning, we love because God first loved us. So what else can we say about this love? Paul starts out our passage in verse 9 by saying, let love be genuine. You know, our love should be real. Our love should be sincere. In fact, if you look at verse 9, in, in the original Greek, there is no verb in verse 9. So it literally says, unhypocritical un love. Right? That's, how, that's, what, that's how verse 9 starts out, unhypocritical love. You know, what is a hypocrite? You know, a hypocrite kind of puts on a mask, right? That's, that's how you define a hypocrite. So Paul says, don't wear a mask. 
you know, love sincerely. You know, this is love that is sweet on the outside and also sweet on the inside. And, and this kind of love, it, it's not about being nice, right? I think we, we all understand being nice. You know, I, I can be nice to the other riders on the MRT train. You know, I can give my seat to them. You know, I can step, you know, make room for them, move to the inside of the carriage. I can be nice uh, to my neighbours I occasionally meet in the lift. Yeah, I can be nice to people. But, but that's, not, that's not the love that, that Paul is talking about here, right? It's not about... Being nice. Now, this, this love that Paul speaks of here, it, it goes beyond niceties. It, because we can be nice to people without having deep affection for them in our hearts. I, I can give up my seat on the train to an older lady or an older gentleman, and, and I, I don't need to love him. <laughs> I can be nice. So, so Paul's not thinking about being nice. He's, he's talking about the, the, the humble self-sacrificial love that characterizes genuine love. You know, at, at this point, maybe you're thinking, oh, okay, I, I find it really hard to love others in that way. You know, I, I understand I can be nice to people, I can be civil, I can be courteous, I can be polite, but I find it really hard to love in this way. You know, maybe you might even be thinking about people in your life, at your workplace, in your families, maybe someone else in the church, that you find it really hard to love in this way. So how? Should you not love them until you muster up enough strength of will to love them genuinely? Should you kind of put love on hold until you somehow have that will to love them? No, I, I don't think that's what Paul is calling us to do. You know, God is calling us to love out of our own limit. You know, He's not calling us to love out of our own limited resources. God is calling us to, calling us to love in, in ways that, that surpass what we can do in our own strength. And, and why? Remember the, the map again, verse 1? It is by the mercies of God. It is because of God's mercies that's why we're able to love in this way. And we'll think more about this later on. So Paul starts out this section by saying, you know, genuine love. Nine verse, uh, verse 9. And then in the rest of this section, Paul will further explain what genuine love looks like. Right? Well, what are the characteristics of genuine love? And he starts out in the second half of verse 9 by saying genuine, genuine love is holy. You know, abhor what is evil, hold fast, to what is good. This is a very striking follow-on to the first part of verse 9 because you notice how Paul juxtaposes love and hate. Right? He says, genuine love, hate, what is evil. It's a very striking contrast, love and hate. And this could be hard to understand because we are accustomed to think about love as mainly emotional. So basically, what makes us, if something makes us feel good, it must be love. Right? I mean, that, that's how I think we are accustomed to think about love. You know, if it feels good, it must be love. And if it feels good, and if it's love, 
it must be right. I think that's common logic to many today. Now, I've spoken to someone in an adulterous relationship, you know, kind of encouraging this person, hey, you really need to end this, you know, turn back to God. And, and this person's reply was, but this feels really good. I, I really love this person because it feels good. So because it feels good, I think what this person was implying, that it must be right. Something, like, something that feels so good can't be wrong. And, and, and that's how, especially in this world, we are accustomed to think about love. Right? If it feels good, it must be right. So if it doesn't feel good anymore, you stop loving this person. Right? But that's not what Paul is saying, right? Love, hate. Genuine love must hate. Genuine, genuine love must hate. Genuine love must hate evil. Right, let, let, me, let me give you this illustration to, to kind of flesh out this one a bit more. Uh, you know, I, I love my two boys, Zach and Ian. Uh, I love them, you know, 3,000, whatever. <laughs> you know, what, 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 if, what, what if something that was wrecking their lives? You know, imagine, imagine this. Let me, let's, let, me, let me give you an extreme example. You know, I, I love my boys so much. What if there's something that has come into their lives that is wrecking their lives? Drugs, perhaps, right? Extreme, extreme example, drugs. Drugs have come into their lives and, and you know, they, they, they taken control of their lives and, and the drugs are really wrecking them. I, I can see, just observing their lives, that this, these drugs are destroying their lives. Bit by bit, just destroying them. What do I do? I, as a loving parent, I'm, I'm going to hate the drugs with all of my being. You know, I, I can't stand idly by and say, yeah, you know, they want to do drugs, that's fine, that's a choice, you know. If it feels good for them, it must be love, <laughs> it's okay. No, no, that, that's not love, is it? You know, if, if, if I love them, I'm, I'm going to hate the thing that destroys them. That's love. And that's what Paul is saying here. Abhor what is evil because evil destroys You know, evil has invaded God's good creation and evil is making a mess of everything. Evil is making a wreck of our lives. And, and because God's love is fiercely holy, He must oppose evil with all of His being. For, for God to not oppose evil with all of His being would, would be to make Him less than God. And, and such a God is not worthy of worship. So because God is loving, He opposes evil with all of His being. And, and Paul says to us, hey, our love for one another must reflect this kind of holy love. Our love for one another cannot wink at sin. You know, we, we can't be indifferent if we see sin destroying the lives of our brothers and sisters. To, 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 to see that happening and to stand on the sidelines and say, that's their life, it's not my business, Paul says that's really unloving. True love does not indulge in sin. 
So, so what does this mean for us? I think Paul is calling us as his people, as God's people, to be able to share our sin struggles with one another. You know, our, our enemy, our common enemy is not each other, our enemy is sin. And, and Paul means for us to talk about our sin struggles so that we can fight sin together. That, that's love. So that we can speak the truth in love into one another's lives. Right? That, that's love. Right? That, that's abhorring evil. That, that's holding fast to what is good. Being indifferent to sin in the community is not love. You know, and think, think of these other scriptural passages that talk about this. You know, it, it, this hap- these are common scriptural passages, right? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and then keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so, fi- and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? It's the law of love. So we can't fulfill the law of love unless we talk about sin, unless we help one another fight sin and walk away from sin. James 5, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins, which sounds a lot like the verse, love covers a multitude of sin. Love doesn't cover sin by ignoring it. Love covers sin by addressing it and by walking away from it. You know, I mean, we understand this, right? Parents who love their children, what do they do? We, we discipline our children because we love them. Genuine love cannot remain idle while sin wrecks the lives of our loved ones. To quote Christian writer Rebecca Manley Pippet, she writes, Real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. So abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Genuine love has deep affection for God's family. That's uh, in verse 10, and then we'll be looking at a few other verses that bring out this idea more as well in our passage. Paul says in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. And then he uses two different words here for love. Instead of agape, he uses two different Greek words that express the love between family members. Between parents and children, between husbands and wives, between brothers and sisters. We know that family members don't always get along. We know that family members aren't always nice. But a truly loving family will pull together in times of need. So, So as Paul chooses these words, love, He's telling us something about the church. He's saying that the church is not just uh, an, an, an informal gathering of people who happen to be at the same place at the same time on Sundays. Right? He's saying that the church is more than just an organizational institution. Definitely more than just a company limited by guarantee. Right? A, a, a church, Paul is saying, is a spiritual family and he, he picks familiar words to describe the love that we should have for one another. Now, these, are, these are the words where we get the word filial, right? Filial love. Paul is saying that in Christ, we belong to the same spiritual family. Now, blood is thicker than water, but the bond that we have in Christ, I would argue, is stronger than blood. 
we share the same spiritual DNA. And if Jesus laid down his life for us to bring us together as family, we ought to lay down our lives for one another, for our brothers and sisters. So brotherly affection means this humble self-sacrifice, this self-giving for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why Paul goes on to say in the second half of verse 10, outdo one another in showing honour. So for, the, for those of us who are competitive, <laughs> you know, if you want to compete over something, you know, compete about how much honour you can show to someone else. Outdo one another in showing honour. We, and we honour others how? How do we honour others? We put them before ourselves. That's what it means to honour. We, we put their needs before our own. We put their interests before our own. We put their well-being before our own. So, so when Paul says, honour others, Paul is saying, serve them. Serve them for their good. And, and, and in this, we follow Jesus who did not come to be served, but to serve. And Paul goes on to say, since we belong to the same spiritual family, we all have a part to play. Right? God has given each one of us grace gifts to be used to serve others for the common good. I mean, we thought about this when Pastor Ian uh, preached on the, on the previous passage last week. Use our gifts for the good of the body, right? because we are members one of another. We belong together members of the same body. So Paul says in verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord by serving his people. You know, be, be fervent. It, it's, a, it's a very striking image, right? It, it literally means boil over. You know, you think of a, a, a pot that's kind of boiling over, right? So Paul says, boil over with passion for the Lord. Don't hold back in serving others. You know, in, in, in my family, uh, we, Claire and I, we, we continually tell our boys, you know, you, you're not hotel guests. <laughs> you are family members. So fa what do family members do? You pitch in. You, you help with the chores. You, you serve one another. You love one another. Right? You, you're active in helping this family uh, kind of function. Right? So in, in the same way, that's what Paul is saying to us. We, we're not Consumers, you know, we don't consume church services. You know, we're not, and certainly we're not critics. We're not, we're not here to evaluate how things are, you know, and just write down a review after that. No, we're not, we're not critics. We're not passengers, or worse still, you know, we're, not, we're certainly not backseat drivers. So Paul is saying to us in, in verse 11, you know, don't just attend church. Don't just attend church. You know, Paul is saying, you have to be the church. You have to be the church. How do you be the church? You be the church by honouring one another, by serving one another. So not wanting to serve is unloving because it means that other people have to pick up the slack. It means that other people have to serve you. Right. Love doesn't just focus on our own needs, but love honours the other person. Love notices needs in God's family, and, and love takes the initiative to meet those needs. That's what love looks like. Now, so, for example, you, know, you hear about their needs at the Vacation Bible School. 
love takes initiative to meet those needs. You, you hear about how our children's ministry is growing. You know, actually, the number of kids is literally almost doubling in size. Love meets those needs. Right? Love says, yeah, I, I'm available. I, I can step in and serve. Not because it's easy, but because I'm showing honor to someone else. Love meets needs. And that's why Paul says in verse 13, loving God's family leads us to contribute to the needs of the saints. Contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. Now, hospitality is not just about inviting people over and you know, feeding them a really nice meal. Uh, it's more than that, right? Being hospitable involves opening our lives, opening our hearts to other people. And oftentimes that involves opening our homes, that also involves opening our wallets, that <laughs> involves opening our calendars, our schedules to other people. Right? That, that's what hospitality looks like. And then it's costly. Right? Hospitality will cost us something. Hospitality is not uh, without sacrifice. Now Paul says, Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. You know, get, get to know other people. Uh, get to know their needs. We are stewards, not owners of what we have. So Paul says, be generous with what God has entrusted to us. Your, your time, your health, your energy, your abilities, your, 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 your schedules, uh, your opportunities, your money, your home, your possessions. Uh, I mean, this is how we exercise hospitality. You know, as many of you know, uh, you know Nehemiah and Ern are, are getting married this Saturday. You know, and, and I've been, so, sorry, don't, don't, mean, don't mean to embarrass you guys, but I am. <laughs> uh, so I, I've just come off some time of uh, do, doing like marriage prep, the both of them. And, and, and one thing that really encouraged Claire and I was, you know, they, 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 they're about to have their, their new home. And you know, they're, they're in the process of kind of getting their new home ready. But, but even before there was furniture in their new home, they had people over. You know, they, they were already beginning to open their home and their lives to people around them. Right? And it's not because their home is, is really well put together. No, their furniture is not even in yet. And you don't have to have a really nice home to have people over. It's about opening your heart. And, and if you don't have a, 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 a place where you can invite people over, then have lunch, have, have coffee with someone. Right? It's, it's how you open your heart to other people as, as Nihi and Ern have done, and I'm so encouraged by their example. So even before they've gotten married, they're already putting this into practice. Contribute to the needs of the saints. You know, you realize that genuine love is not talk only, right? It's, it's shown in action. It's, it's very practical. That's what John says in 1 John, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If you hear of a need and you choose not to do anything, John says, you're not loving. You're not loving. Little children, let us love, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Den uh, Chai leads our member care team and you realize you know, as, as you get to know the church, there are many, many needs in the body. I mean, look around. We're not, we're not a small church. This, this is a good-sized gathering. And, and with so many people, there are many, many needs. 
You know, and, and as we share our lives more, you realize that we will, there will be more needs that, that come to the surface as we open our lives to one another more. And if we just rely on the member care team to do the member care, you know, as what Tian Chai has said, the member care team will need member care. <laughs> so in, in, your, in your ministry guide, there's an insert, right? This is how you can get involved. You know, in, you know, just, just give Tian Chai a call, drop him a message, say, hey, you know, I want to help. I don't know what I can do, but just let me know. I mean, there are many needs in this body. And, and the best way for member care to happen in the body of Christ is for the body of Christ to provide the member care, not just a small team. And then the flip side of, of contributing to the needs is that we, we shouldn't be shy about making our needs known. Right? This is what family does, right? Family doesn't hide things from one another. Uh, we shouldn't be shy. No, don't, don't be paisay, right? Just, just talk about where you have needs and, and how you need help. It's fine because we are members of the same family. We love one another. That's why Paul says in verse 15, right? We better share our lives with one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You know, laugh and cry with one another. Don't be afraid to laugh. Don't be afraid to cry with one another. So we, we, we celebrate at weddings together. We, we celebrate when babies are born. We mourn together at funerals. Grieve together. You know, Paul, Paul is telling us, don't isolate ourselves from community. Don't, don't stand aloof from community and keep your joys to yourself. You know, don't, don't stand aloof from community and suffer in silence. Friends, we, we don't have to suffer in silence. You know, the, the best example of this is Jesus himself. Jesus entered our lives. He shared his life with us. He, he doesn't save us from a distance, you know, keeping us at arm's length. No, he, he took on flesh. You know, the, the incarnation is, is the greatest example of weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. Jesus entered into our little worlds and he loved us. He became just like us, except without sin. So, so now, as followers of Jesus, he, he means for us to do the same, to, in, in some ways, not to say it too strongly, to, to incarnate his love in one another's lives. And, and the only way to do that is, is if we first enter someone else's life. How we start doing that is we need to commit to knowing the people around you. If, if we don't even know the people around us, then how do we love them? And it also means being committed to be known by others, right? by opening my life to the people around me so that they can get to know me and they can begin to, to enter my life with the love of Christ. And, and friends, this is what it means to be a member of the church. Church membership is not primarily about meetings and voting rights, and so on. Church membership is primarily about committed love. And church membership is primarily about this commitment to know and to be known. To know and to be known. 
So how, what do we do? You know, stay back after service, talk to people, ask them about what God is doing in their lives, share about what God is doing in your life, you know, know and be known. Uh, this is why we encourage folks to join CGs as well. You know, the, the, it's, it's not just about a program, but it's about this commitment to know and be known as you join a group, as you open your life to one another. This is why we come together monthly to pray. Right? As we pray together, we are knowing the needs of the body and, and we are bringing these needs of the body together to God, asking of Him. It's all about knowing and being known, friends. This is what it means to be a member of Grace Baptist Church. And if you're not a member of Grace Baptist Church, I, can I just encourage you, if, if you are a Christian, be a part of a local church. You know, join a local church. It, it doesn't have to be Grace Baptist Church, but I just encourage you to join a local church because that's how you can know and be known. And then friends, it, it, it can be difficult to do this, right? It's difficult to share. Actually, it's difficult to share in the joys of others. You realize this? It's not always easy to share in the joys of others. For example, if you're single, hard for, sometimes hard for a single person to rejoice when his or her friends are all getting married. Another example, it can be hard for, though, for a couple with no children to rejoice when they hear about other couples conceiving and having children. I mean, it's not always easy to rejoice with those who rejoice. We, our hearts are sometimes given to envy, to resentment. But Paul says, let love be genuine. You know, put, put aside what you want and be willing to rejoice even though this person has what you don't have. Right? Rejoice with those who rejoice. It can also be difficult to weep with those who weep. And we may be so preoccupied with ourselves that we don't notice those around us who are hurting. And maybe all we see is, I, have a really I had a really rough week, and, and we don't see the people who around, around us who need help. Or, or worse, we, we may be proud and self-confident. So we look down on others who are struggling around us. You know, we, we become judgmental, like Job's friends. <laughs> right? I'm not going to weep with you because I think this is your fault. <laughs> But love moves us to empathize, right? Love moves us to share in sorrow, to bear one another's burdens. Let, let me give you an encouraging example of this. Uh, you know, this, this member has been ill, so this member has been hospital. So, so this member's CG actually had their CG meeting at the hospital so that this member who's been hospitalized for quite a while could, could, be, could be a part of their CG, right? Could you just enjoy that CG time and, and not feel like just because I'm in hospital, I'm, I'm kind of cut off from community. I mean, that, that's, that's a little example of what it looks like to weep with those who weep, you know, to, to bear one another's burdens. Loving God's family means living in harmony with one another. How? By putting aside our pride. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. You know, Paul says pride destroys our unity. If every one of us insisted on putting ourselves first, then there would be about 500 people pulling apart in 500 ways. But Paul says be of one mind. Right? That's what it means to live in harmony. Be of one mind. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we should 
do humble tasks. We should associate with those who are on the fringe, those who are on the margins of the community. You know, so if you go downstairs on the third floor, you know, don't, don't first gravitate to the people that you know best, but, but look around first and see, are there people who are on the fringes, who are kind of standing there awkwardly? You know, think, go, go speak to them. Go, go talk to those who you, you don't know. and Kind of welcome them in to the community. Genuine love is hopeful, joyful, and prayerful. That's in verse 12, just very quickly on this point. Genuine love perseveres through tough times and in hard places. How? By rejoicing in hope, by being patient in tribulation, by being constant in prayer. As we set our minds on the hope we have in Christ, we know that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and that gives us tremendous security and assurance to love others liberally without fear. And we can pray for them, right? We can pray constantly for them. And finally, fourth point, genuine love seeks the good of those who are difficult to love. So, so far in, in this text, Paul has focused on relationships in the family of God. And then in these verses, uh, verse 14, verse 17 to 21, Paul talks about the relationships that we have with those in the world, especially with those who are difficult to love. So Paul says, as far as it depends on us, we should live peaceably with all, you know, be a peacemaker. But, but Paul is really realistic, right? He says, it's not always possible. It's not always possible. Peace isn't always possible. This fallen world isn't a friendly place for God's people. You know, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And Paul tells Timothy, you know, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. So, so Paul wants us to think, okay, how, how do I respond to a world that could be hostile as I try to live for Jesus where I am? How do I respond? Paul says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Paul says we, we should reflect the character of our Heavenly Father who makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, this isn't easy. Right? We, may, we, may, we may feel quite alone as we do this. So Paul reminds us in verse 19 that we are beloved. Right? Verse 19, we are beloved. We may not enjoy the world's approval, but God loves us. We are His beloved. And then we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Therefore, we can leave it to God to make things right. You know, other, otherwise, resentment, anger, bitterness, hatred, revenge can eat us up from the inside. But when we trust in God, our righteous judge, this frees us 
to seek the good of those who are difficult to love. So, so think, think for a moment now. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are people in our lives who are difficult to love. All of us. I, I know there are people in my life who are difficult to love. Who, who in your life is difficult to love? Is it a family member? Is it a colleague? A boss? Maybe even someone here in this body as you look around. How, how have we been responding to them? So, so take a moment, reflect. You know, how have we been responding to the people in our lives who are difficult to love? Why not break the cycle of anger, bitterness, and resentment? How? By praying for them. So Paul says, do good to those who are difficult to love. Feed those who are hungry. Give water to those who are thirsty. You know, do good to them. It's very counterintuitive, right? Paul says, by doing so, we heap burning coals on his head. So when, when, when we answer hatred with words of love, when we answer hatred with acts of love, we might lead the person to be ashamed of his or her hurtful actions against us. And we might cause this person to repent and turn to the Lord. As it says in Proverbs, a soft answer turns away wrath. Let, let me share this personal story with you. So Claire and I, we lived in the U.S. for a while, and while we lived in the U.S., we met this couple, uh, John and Jane. So these are not their real names. Uh, I've, I've kind of hidden their real names for a reason. So we met John and Jane, jo John and Jane while we lived in the U.S., and John and Jane had just gotten married and moved to Washington, D.C. Four weeks, just four weeks after their wedding, Jane was alone at home during the daytime. You know, it was about probably nine in the morning, she's going about her own business at home, uh, a stranger broke into their apartment. This stranger violently assaulted Jane, leaving her body broken and emotionally traumatized. Police later arrested the man, and at the trial, Jane's husband, John, had the opportunity to give a victim impact statement. That's what they do in the U.S., in the U.S. courts. So th this is what, listen to this, this is what John said in his victim impact statement at the trial. For months afterward, the harm to us in the wake of his violence, so this, this man's violence, was inescapable the flood of confusion, disbelief, anger, hatred, fear, and desperation that ravaged our lives on that day receded only slowly. But evil has not prevailed. It is without question that we have been impacted by the evil of this man, but the goodness and the hope promised by and delivered by a greater man, Jesus Christ, 
has overcome that impact. God has given us a precious gift of faith through this dark storm. And He has made the gospel sweet to us. Jane's attacker was sentenced to 34 years in jail. Uh, this is a good example of vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And after the trial, Jane prayed this for her attacker. You know, she shared her prayer with some of us. And Jane prayed, God, I, I pray that you will show mercy. Give him, this, this man who attacked me, give him bold and hard truth and expose him to his need of Jesus. Friends, maybe some of us have suffered greatly at the hands of someone else. I know some of us have perhaps been abused in our past. How will we respond? Evil wins when we repay evil with evil. Evil wins because we become the very evil that we oppose or we ought to, we ought to oppose. But we win victory over evil by seeking the good of those who hurt us. And how can we be sure of this? Because the cross of Christ is where ultimate good has triumphed over ultimate evil. While we were still sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for us. As he hung on the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is not only our example, but he is our saviour. And because of his mercy, we can give to God the spiritual worship that he is worthy of, and we can live a loving life. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son for us. Beloved, if God has so loved us, shouldn't we also love one another? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we come to you now as needy sinners. Father, we come not because we are deserving. Father, we come as those who are broken, those who have sinned, those who have been sinned against. Father, you see how our hearts are breaking. Nothing is hidden from you. Some of us have sinned grievously against others. Some of us have been sinned against grievously by others. And so, Father, as we come to you, we, we bring before you this hurt, this brokenness, this grief and sorrow caused by sin, and we pray that you would help us. We, we pray that you would pour the love of Christ lavishly into our hearts by your Spirit. And, and Father, we, we pray that this love would transform us from the inside out. We pray that this love would move us would indeed compel us 
to love in ways that go beyond what we are able to do in our own strength. So Father, as we come to you, we, we pray that you would help us to reflect on, on how we have received your love and how your love has changed us and help us to respond to you with love for one another and others. Father, now as we come to you in, in, in quietness, we, we pray that you would move us to ask you for help. Help us to come to you, Father. Dear Lord, we come to you now and we praise you for you are God who is love. And Father, we entrust ourselves to you, our loving Father. And we pray that because you have loved us, we pray that we would love one another. Help us, Father, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's all rise and sing our song of response.
We've heard about God's love for us, and we know His love intimately because of Christ.